Hey everyone, it's Scott here. Just before we get to this great episode, I want to extend a special offer to you as a Meet Me in the Kitchen listener. Little Kitchen Academy wants every child to experience what changing lives from scratch really means. So as a special gift to our listeners, you can currently save $25 off enrollment at any Little Kitchen Academy location. Just use the code in the kitchen at checkout and you'll instantly save $25 off enrollment at any LKA location. Again, the promo code to use is in the kitchen. It will only be available for a limited time, so be sure to enroll your child today. I think the integrity with which Brian and Felicity and their team operate is just paramount. I mean, they're so focused on doing the right thing by their franchisees, by their parents and the kids that participate. I think that you know stands above everything. They're always gonna do the right thing. And I think the other thing, at least from my perspective, I'm somewhat aesthetic. I just think the aesthetic sensibility, particularly that Felicity brings to the business is amazing to me. I wish I had a quarter of the talent that she does. And, you know, being in environments like that, organized, beautiful places with good food, and that's what they want these kids to be involved in. I think that feeds into other parts of these kids' lives in a way that gives them some structure and stability that I think is really, really important. A good kitchen produces good food, but a great kitchen brings people together. Welcome to Meet Me in the Kitchen, a podcast inspired by Little Kitchen Academy and supported by Birkenstock. Exploring the key ingredients to a meaningful life and how they are changing lives from scratch. Here's my dad and your host, Scott Rintoul. If you've ever traveled, and chances are you have, you know the importance of having some local knowledge of the places you're visiting. Where to stay, where to go, what to do, local customs and etiquette as well as any potential pitfalls that might arise along the way. Now, there are a lot of different ways to get that knowledge, but it's always nice to know someone who knows the lay of the land, a person you trust to guide you through your adventure and help you out when questions or situations arise. In fact, it's very similar to expanding your business to new markets. You need to have someone who understands the rules and regulations of operating in different locations. That's where Will Woods comes in. When it comes to franchise and distribution law, Will is one of the top lawyers on the planet and provides outside counsel to Little Kitchen Academy as it continues to expand its franchise internationally. A partner at Baker McKenzie and based in Dallas, Texas, Will is also a father and husband who enjoys his time in the kitchen, and he recently agreed to meet me in the kitchen to talk franchising, food, and family. When I tell people later, I had a long conversation with a lawyer this afternoon. This is the reason why, because that can go a bunch of different ways. And it's not going to cost you anything, which is a bonus, right? So Good. I'm happy to get that confirmation, and we have that recorded now, so I'm definitely not on the hook for this one. My first question off the top is probably one that you've been asked many times. How does one make their way into specializing in franchise and distribution law? It's a good question. I can only tell you sort of how I got here, and it was completely by happenstance. Very, very early in my career, in fact, right out of law school, I joined a group that specialized in this area and really loved it and just continued on from there. And I've now been doing work in this area for 
over 25 years. But it's a good question. Not a whole lot of people start out. A lot of people move into this area of practice after being in the corporate space or IP or whatever. But I, I'm one of the few who's done it for my entire career. What was it about this particular genre of law that compelled you? Well, I mean, I think, look, you know, franchising, and we'll probably get into this later, is really a model for expansion across many, many different industries and across businesses at different stages of growth. So I represent companies that are startups. I represent companies that are in sort of the middle kind of market area that have, you know, 40, 50, 60, 100 units. And then many of my clients and a lot of the work that I do is for clients that have, you know, thousands of units and are large global franchisors. And, you know, I think the variation in industry and the variation of the types of people that I advise was really compelling to me. And, and that's why I think I've stuck with it. And I just love my clients. And the fact is, is that, you know, my clients typically stick with me for a very, very long time. And so they become relationships and not sort of transactional encounters. <laughs> so how does it work in the franchise world? Does someone come to you or your firm and say, I've got this business, I want to franchise it, and you give them the layout? Do you help approve the idea and tell them whether or not it makes sense? What does that process look like, Will? Well, I'm less of a business advisor. I'm not a business advisor. I'm a lawyer. But we do have a lot of experience working with startup franchisors, companies that may be very established and look to expand through franchising as a way to, you know, sort of use other people's capital and really turbocharge their growth. There are others that are, as I said before, startups. And so you take clients where they are, of course, and we work with a wide variety. But you know, what we do is typically, you know, have a conversation about what the company's objectives are, what our approach would be. And yeah, to some extent, I can give some advice and at least give some thoughts about whether a concept is franchisable or not. But that's more of a business call, to be honest. But we've seen a lot of companies, so we are able to give some thoughts on that as well. You made it very clear you're not a business advisor, so I don't want to paint you as that, but you have a lot of experience, as you mentioned, a quarter century of working in this area. So in your opinion, based on your experience, what are some of the key factors that turn a successful business into a successful franchise? Well, I think number one is understanding that franchising is a different business from the core business. If a company comes in to me and says, oh, we just want to opportunistically franchise and maybe do one or two, and that may not be the best approach. The client has to really have an understanding that they're getting into a whole different business, not just you know the restaurant business. They're going to be selling franchises. They're going to be servicing franchisees. And I think with that understanding going in, that's a good starting point. I think ultimately, you know, we don't like to use the word partner because, you know, a franchisor is not a legal partner of a franchisee, but it really is important, I think, for franchisors to, you know, have a mindset of partnership and making sure that their franchisees are successful and that it really is a mutually beneficial relationship. And that's how companies, I think, are ultimately successful in growing and having great relationships with their franchisees. It must be difficult to get people to understand all of the complexities in that world because it's very easy to throw an idea out and say, this would make for a great partnership. This will benefit both of us. But there are a lot, as I mentioned, complexities involved with that, aren't there? Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of complexities from the franchisor side. I mean, there are, of course, the legal complexities. There are regulations that apply in a variety of jurisdictions, including in the US and Canada, with respect to franchising specifically. But even beyond the legal aspects, as a franchisor, you're putting someone who might not have very much experience at all in business or in this particular business 
into business. And so there's a real importance in understanding that going in both from the franchisor side and the franchisee side to ensure that that's a good fit. And like Brian and Felicity are all in, in supporting and being, you know, on a team with their franchisees. Well, you've known Brian for a very long time. At least that's my understanding. I don't know the backstory, however. Brian Kern, of course, one of the founders of Little Kitchen Academy. How did you two come to know each other? Oh, gosh, it's been almost decades now, I think. But Brian's been around franchising for a really, really long time. I first started working with him when he was at a company called Flip Flop Shops. He and a partner, Darren Kreich, were growing that brand. I had worked with Darren at a prior company. Darren and Brian had worked together for many years in the food service business and restaurant business. And so we started working together on flip-flop shops. And those guys grew that concept from, I think, six units when they acquired it to well over 100 when they sold it back in, I think, 2016. So that's when we started working together. And so now, as you mentioned, it's been well over... 10 years and you've got some history and you're working together again in franchising Little Kitchen Academy. I'm sure you have seen hundreds, if not thousands of franchises over the course of your lengthy career. What is unique in your mind about Little Kitchen Academy? Well, first of all, it's a great concept. I will say that the branding, the concept, the idea behind it, port that Brian Felicity and their team provide to franchisees is really, really top notch. You know, from my perspective, you know, both Brian and Felicity are brand people, right? They're very good at developing brands. And that shows in Little Kitchen Academy. I mean, when you walk into, as you well know, one of the Little Kitchen Academy units, it's just, first of all, beautiful. <laughs> Secondly, extremely well organized. The branding is beautiful. And, you know, they make it a place where people feel really, really comfortable, both the children that are attending these sessions and the parents. And so I think it's a very hands-on business, right? And any business where children are the primary customer, <laughs> there's a higher level that's expected in terms of safety in terms of just every aspect of the business, I think, and they do it right. So that's that's my impression at a high level of Little Kitchen Academy. You used a word there that I want to ask about, and that's the word support. And it would seem to me, being a neophyte in this world, that the only way a successful franchise is going to operate successfully for a long time is if there's support both ways. What does good support from a franchise, or in this case, Little Kitchen Academy, Brian and Felicity, look like? Yeah. I mean, it's almost like being a lawyer. You're kind of on call 24 seven, right? And when something happens and when franchisees need help or they need support, you're there for them. And they certainly do that. I do think having a good system in place, you know, going in is critically important, good training, good marketing, all those things kind of go into the recipe, so to speak, of making a great franchise opportunity. And that's something that I think they've done a very, very good job at. Well, as you mentioned, you can recognize it after all of these years in the business. What are some of those hallmarks that you see when you're putting a good system in place that's going to allow the franchisee to benefit while the franchisor is able to make this business go in places where perhaps they didn't even envision it in the first place? Yeah, well, I think a big part of it is making sure you pick the right franchisee for the system. And we've talked a little bit about that earlier, but I do think it's important to have a really good understanding from a franchisee perspective of what the business is and what's required, what's expected, especially in a system like this that is, you know, very, very intentionally high end and provides very high level service. So I think those are some of the things that you have to think about when you go into something like this. 
You've mentioned the word a few different times, and I think it's important to focus on this as well. A lot of people think of lawyers as the people who understand all of the fine print in all of these documents that most of us scan through and say, ah, that's for somebody else. But it ultimately is a people business. What do you look for in the people that you want to represent? Yeah, it is a people business. I think what I look for is, you know, somebody that can be a good business partner for the long term that understands that the job is not easy if you're going to do it right. And that an investment in making sure that you've protected yourself from risk, that you've created a documentation that protects the system, both for the franchisees and for the franchisor going forward is important. And that's commercial. Somebody that really is commercially minded. I mean, we are lawyers, but we're business lawyers. And so it is, although I'm not a business advisor necessarily, it's very, very important to take a commercial and practical approach to things, even when it comes to the legal side. And I think clients that understand that are certainly ones that I very much like to work with. One of the things that I know, even though I know very little about franchising in general, is that there are different rules and regulations from state to state, from province to province, from country to country. You work with global brands. How do you keep that all straight, Will? Oh, gosh. Well, first of all, I have a great team that we all work together. But as I said, I've been doing this a long time and it's become sort of ingrained. But there is a lot of change in this space from a regulatory standpoint. And so it's really important to be very involved in the industry, both the business side of the industry and also the legal side. I've for years been very involved. In fact, I'm a past chair of the American Bar Association Forum on Franchising, which is really a great organization for lawyers, for franchise lawyers to learn more and really hone their skills on the legal side of franchising and frankly, to network both for outside counsel and for in-house counsel. So, I mean, that's been an area that I've really put a lot of time and focus into over the years and certainly a way that I keep abreast of the latest developments. Well, and that's why so many people trust you and trust your firm and why you're a global leader in this category. Again, the neophyte, maybe I run Scott's ice cream and I think Scott's ice cream would be great in every community out there. And you mentioned choosing the right people to take your franchise and to take your business into their communities is the number one thing to do. Beyond that, Will, what are some of the challenges that come with franchising that people like myself might not realize? Well, I mean, I'll take it from the franchisor side, and I alluded to this earlier, but it's really important, I think, for a company that begins franchising to understand that they're ultimately going to have to build an infrastructure to support the franchise business. That doesn't have to be done overnight, but it is important, for example, to have a franchise management platform so that all of your documentation is in one place. It's easily available both to your counsel and the people internally at the company and to track regulatory requirements. It's important to have ultimately, you know, salespeople that are out there, you know, selling the franchise opportunity and talking to prospective franchisees to really, really understand the concept to understand the legal requirements, to understand what the expectations are of franchisees. And then, then I think, you know, finally, as the company grows, to make sure you really have a good sort of administrative function so that the company is able to be responsive and provide the highest level of service to franchisees. So building that infrastructure, I think, can be a challenge because there's obviously resources that have to go into that. But there's a smart way to do that. And I think franchisors that are thinking ahead understand that and have a plan for how they're going to build that out as the system grows. You, like me, like everybody listening here as a consumer, 
to some extent or another. And I think as consumers, we all like unique, what we would call maybe mom and pop shops. And we also like the reliability and the standard that comes with something that is franchised. I'm wondering from your perspective as a consumer and just as a an everyday citizen, how you believe a good franchise can benefit consumers and also benefit a community. First of all, look, you got to think about franchising as a local business, right? And a small business because, you know, most franchise ease, most franchised units are locally owned small businesses. I mean, they happen to operate under a system, under a license, potentially from a very large brand, maybe not a very large brand, but they are local. And so I think the way that these franchised businesses operate in the local context, you know, obviously they provide jobs, (laughs) they provide services that are needed, particularly in smaller communities. And the fact that, as I said earlier, you know, franchising spans so many industries that it provides a lot of flexibility to companies to grow in different ways that they might not want to deploy their own capital to do. And so I think ultimately jobs, economic activity, those are all things that franchising does and does very well. Well, and in the case of Little Kitchen Academy, it's creating communities within communities as well. I'm guessing you'd agree. I know that there aren't any as of yet, as of our conversation in Texas, but that is coming very, very soon. I know you've been able to see the opening of a Little Kitchen Academy. You were part of the experience in Los Angeles when that operation got going. You actually stayed with the LKA team during that opening. What was that experience like for you? No, it was really cool to see. I mean, obviously that's a beautiful location in a beautiful place. And the weather is a heck of a lot better than here in Dallas. But yeah, that was really fun to see. And, you know, to see the organization and all the detail that goes into opening a business like this is really fascinating. And it was really fun to see. I visited, I guess, one operational unit up in Toronto this past summer. And I've already enjoyed at least one recipe that the kids were making that day, some like jackfruit carnitas or something like that. It was very, very good. So, but yeah, it's just fun. It's fun to see. So it was a good experience to see them open it up. Well, and Brian said I should press you further to tell me just how unique your experience in Los Angeles was because it was at a strange time in all of our lives as well, was it not? It was pretty weird. Yeah. I think that was like kind of halfway through the whole COVID thing. So yeah, I did have to wear a mask on the plane to get out there, but thankfully we're done with that hopefully for a while. So yeah, it was an interesting time. So you've been in a little kitchen academy. There's soon to be some in the communities that you live in and close to you as well in Texas. As I mentioned, this is the part where we ask everybody the question that gets asked throughout this series. Will, you have your own kitchen at home. What is the one ingredient that is always in that kitchen and why? Well, first of all, I don't have a kitchen right now because it's being remodeled. That's why I'm not in the kitchen for this. But the one ingredient that I always have, it's got to be olives, right? I mean, they're such a versatile food. So yeah. That is the first time that anyone has come with that answer, olives, (laughs) in any of the email signatures I've seen at Little Kitchen Academy and certainly on this podcast. What is it about olives that you love so much? Well, first of all, they've got to be good olives, not the canned crap, right? I mean, you got to have the good stuff. I don't know. I mean, they're great in martinis, they're great in pasta, they're great in, you know, just eating alone. They're just a very versatile and, and good food to me. I don't know. Do you have a particular olive that stands at the top of the olive food chain, if you will? Is it the Kalamata olive? What olive would be at the top? I'm a green olive guy. I mean, I like all olives except the canned kinds, but I like green olives pretty much of any variety. You are not cooking these days, obviously, but are you much of a cook? Do you consider yourself pretty handy in the kitchen? 
You know, I am. I'm probably the cook in my family. You know, it's funny. My dad passed away very recently, and I've been thinking a lot about a lot of things. But one of the things that keeps coming up to me in my mind is sort of growing up and how food and cooking was such an important part of my family. My mom grew up in New Orleans, which of course is a great food city. And I would go there as a kid and and my grandmother would cook. She was a great home cook. My mom was a great cook. And, you know, some of my best memories are around the table at home. My mom would always make sort of the full on meal every night. I mean, I think that's unusual these days. I mean, there's a dessert, I think, every night when I was growing up. And, you know, sort of fast forwarding to now, it's a really important thing, I think, no matter what your family looks like, to have a meal together at least once a day. And so that's a really, really important part of my family with my wife and my two boys. They're gone now in, in university, but I think they would say that the same about the importance of that. And I feel like I had a, a significant part in that because I, I did cook a lot. My wife's a very good cook too, but she has her specialties. I'm the more versatile cook. I think she would even agree with that. So did you spend a lot of time with your mother and your grandmother in the kitchen growing up? Or was it more that you just sort of learned by osmosis by watching them and being around that table? Yeah, I think I learned by osmosis. And I think really what happened was, is when I went to university, I realized how bad the food was and, and realized that I wanted to eat better. So it precipitated me learning to cook. I'm really sorry to hear about your father, by the way. You mentioned that a couple of minutes ago, and I'm sure that's very difficult for you and your family. It is interesting to me, though, that a lot of those great memories come back to something that many people take for granted, as simple as sitting around a table, sharing stories, sharing laughs, Probably times when the kids are acting up. I know that happens at my house a lot, but those also provide a lot of joy, don't they? Absolutely. I think just the process, right? Speaking of COVID, we mentioned that a minute ago when my boys were home all the time. One was, I think he was a junior in high school and my other was a freshman in high school. You know, they really took control of the kitchen a few times, much to my dismay, because they're not as OCD as I am and clean, but made some really good meals. And those are things that we remember. Well, as you just mentioned, you're a father, you're a husband, and like every parent, when your boys were growing up, you were seeking out activities for them, opportunities for your children to experience different things over the years. I know that they're past the age of Little Kitchen Academy now, but from what you've seen and the involvement you've had with Little Kitchen Academy, what makes it an attractive option as a parent? Man, I wish I had Little Kitchen Academy when my kids were younger because it's a great opportunity. I mean, I think part of it is just showing them that they can do it, right? I mean, the way the system works, these aren't complex dishes. I guess they can be complex, actually. But I think the value to me is, number one, having a way to show a kid that they can actually do this. And number two, I know that Felicity is very focused on this. As parents, we were, we weren't always that successful, but just the health aspect of it and learning how to try different things more complex flavors and things that might actually be healthy every once in a while can be a good way to eat. And particularly with boys, that can sometimes be a challenge. So I think Little Kitchen does a great job on that. Well, and I know your two children didn't go through Little Kitchen Academy, but you mentioned when you got to university, the food wasn't great that you experienced and you needed to find another option. Did you know what you were doing and are they better prepared to tackle that challenge than you were? Well, I had a lot of calls with my mom to say, hey, how do you make this, right? So no, I was not prepared, but my mom was very patient with me and would share recipes and give me tips on how to do it. You know, they're 21 and, and 19 at this point, so they're not super focused on it, but I think they will come back. And when they come home, they do like, at least for me to cook for them. So I don't know how prepared they were, but I think one day they'll be good cooks for their families, hopefully. Yeah, I hope so too. I know that I've got two young children and LKA serves a wide spectrum, kids from as young as three to as old as 18 years old. And 
I think a lot of the focus for parents is on those younger ages when you're introducing activities. But I imagine you can attest to this fact when you're getting ready to send your children off into the world, you want to know that they can fend for themselves and they can make good choices. And this is such a great way to prepare them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the excitement that you see in these kids when, I mean, the class that I observed when I was up in Toronto a few months ago, the excitement, you know, they're trying to get away from their parents and get their jacket on and all that and get going. So yeah, I mean, I think it's a really great thing and a very exciting thing for them. And it's, it's fun to see, I think, for us adults too. Well, and I think that's why Felicity ultimately agreed with Brian that this was an opportunity that they needed to share outside of the business that they had created for themselves in Vancouver. And they wanted more children around the planet to experience that. LKA prides itself on being a very values-driven company. What values do you see in Little Kitchen Academy? Well, I think the integrity with which Brian and Felicity and their team operate is just paramount. I mean, they're so focused on doing the right thing by their franchisees, by their parents and the kids that participate. I think that, you know, stands above everything. They're always going to do the right thing. And I think the other thing, at least from my perspective, I'm somewhat aesthetic. I just think the aesthetic sensibility, particularly that Felicity brings to the business is amazing to me. I wish I had a quarter of the talent that she does. And, you know, being in environments like that, organized, beautiful places with good food, and that's what they want these kids to be involved in. I think that feeds into other parts of these kids' lives in a way that gives them some structure and stability that I think is really, really important. You make a really good point, whether it's from an aesthetic point of view or from a functional point of view, every single element of every Little Kitchen Academy seems to have thoughtfulness behind it. And I think people recognize that, don't you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you walk in and see it and it's fun for either Felicity or Brian to give you a tour of all the little nooks and crannies of the place and, and how they thought about it and how they developed it, whether it's the material or, you know, the height of the sink, all the things. I mean, it's just it's the detail and the thought that went into it is amazing. And look, this isn't so that we bring up bad examples, but I would guess over the wide swath of franchising that occurs out there, not everybody has the same thoughtful, we're going to always do the right thing approach. No, I mean, look, I think as a general matter, especially with the companies that I've worked with for over 25 years, you know, these companies are trying to do the right thing for their shareholders, their franchisees, all of the stakeholders. You're right, though. I mean, you know, nothing's perfect and there are some bad apples out there. The good thing is in the U.S. and many other jurisdictions in Canada, there are regulations and, you know, franchisors that are smart and understand, you know, it's kind of a pain to comply sometimes, but they see the importance of regulations because it protects the industry, it protects the model and it protects the franchisees. So I think, you know, we're lucky to have the regulators that we have to protect the industry. And I really do see regulators and the body of regulation as protecting the business as a whole. Well, I imagine that you've seen it from all different sides and it's changed, as you mentioned earlier in our conversation over the years as well. And you have to continue to be abreast of those changes. I imagine when you're at a dinner party or a social gathering and people find out what you do, they're pretty interested because it's a world not many people know a whole lot about. For somebody who's looking to become a franchisee, what advice would you give them? Well, I think the first piece of advice I would give them is look around, right? Uh, make sure that you understand what you want, the type of business that you would like to operate. There are lots of options out there. 
and to take the time to do diligence and carefully read the franchise disclosure document, hire a lawyer who is experienced in representing franchisees to advise you on what is standard in the industry. And I think once the concepts are narrowed down, really get to know the people at the brand, at the franchisor, and make sure that you're compatible. Because as you said before, it's a people business. And so it's really important to make those connections. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Now, I know the kids are long past the LKA age, as I mentioned earlier, but we're going to be seeing some little kitchen academies opening in Texas in the very near future. Are we going to catch you at an opening in your home state? I think in Austin, right? Isn't that the next one that's opening? Yeah. Well, I hope so. I love Austin. It's a great city for this, but Dallas is too. I mean, you know, the thing is, is I think there's so many opportunities in our country for great markets for this concept in particular, and certainly Texas is a great place to be. So we're excited to welcome you guys. Well, I think it's going to be a great fit. And as you mentioned, there's so many places that could benefit from this from a health standpoint, from a sustainability standpoint. These are our children and our future we're talking about. They deserve this type of education. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Will, well, hopefully I'll see you at an opening here in the near future. There's a chance that I'll be making my way down to the Lone Star State at some point for one of those openings and perhaps a special edition of Meet Me in the Kitchen. Thank you very much for sharing your time with me here. Great. Pleasure to be with you. Thanks, Scott. Meet Me in the Kitchen is curated and produced by Toolkit Content. You can find more information about Little Kitchen Academy, including classes, locations, employment, and franchise opportunities at littlekitchenacademy.com. What's the one ingredient that's always in your kitchen?